welcome back once again to another episode of WBU Marketing Communications Today with my raspy voice and all here. Brought to you by the good folks at West Virginia University's Marketing Communications Program, which sits squarely at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and modern marketing practices. With a new modern marketing guru with us here today, welcome, if you will, for the first time, Karen Freeberg. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. So are you ready to impart wisdom to us? You've got some uh, many wizards we've had on this show here. So we are uh, I don't see a pointy hat on your head here. So I don't know if you're ready for this. <laughs> no, it's in my other office. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> All right. All right. So who did you bring along to impart wisdom with us today here? I am truly honored to have one of the best individuals in the crisis communication space, Melissa Agnes. She is a consultant, global recognized leading expert in the field. She's also a best-selling author and looking at the valuable skill sets that students need to have um, in order to be successful in the workplace in this field. So in this session, Melissa is going to be talking about her work in crisis management, her book, and how she really is helping the future generation in practicing effective and strategic crisis communication. So great to have you on the WVU podcast, Melissa. Welcome, welcome. And I'm just I'm just thrilled that the students, professionals and community will be able to learn from you and hear the great work you're doing in our field. Thank you so much for the honor of being here, Karen. Let's get started. I mean, the first question that I have for you is how did you get started in this field? What journey did you take to be a leading expert in crisis management? Started, so I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life, pretty much. Nearly 10 years ago now, I remember we were doing, I had a partner at the time, and we were doing brand strategies for the digital space. So, you know, online branding and social media and digital websites and all that. And I remember one morning I was reading, just catching up on my morning readings, and it just struck me all of the changes that were going on in with digital, with technology in general, not just social media, not just mobile tech, but kind of all of it together and the impact that it was having on organizations or at least the impact that I foresaw it having on organizations in a negative capacity and the realization that nobody at that point in time was talking about it. Nobody was addressing it. Nobody was asking questions about it. No, just there was no dialogue happening on this important subject. It fueled me because it's the way that my brain works. So the way that I kind of, the pattern that my brain tends to take is I see risk everywhere. I quickly kind of classify it as, is it an issue versus is it a crisis in different contexts? What does that mean? And then I see mitigation strategies for those risks and then opportunities through mitigation. So quickly my brain went to there's so much risk involved in this. Nobody's talking about it. And yet all of this risk is so easy to mitigate if we do start talking about it. And then if we get to that level, then the opportunities for crisis communication, for crisis management, for emergency management just becomes unprecedented. But we have to have these conversations in order to get there. And so that kind of triggered something within me in that moment. I remember the feeling. I remember the kind of aha, light bulb, oh my goodness moment. And I spent about a year just kind of devouring everything that I could on the subject of crisis management because up until that point in time, I didn't know that that was a thing. And again, for a year, all of my, you know, quote unquote studies, I realized that nobody was addressing the way that society was moving in terms of technology and the digital landscape. It just didn't make any sense to me. And I remember turning to my business partner at the time and saying, there's something here I just 
I'm not quite there yet. I don't have my finger directly on it. I'm not quite sure what it looks like, but there's something here. At about that time, we had just launched one of our clients' websites. They were a real estate investment trust. So a public company that invests in real estate with their primary stakeholders being their investors. We had just launched their website and early, early one morning, the VP of the company calls me and says, oh my goodness, our president's in the car with a prospective investor. The radio is reporting basically on every channel that one of our buildings is about to explode. It's not true. Apparently the rumor started on Twitter. We have no idea what Twitter is, but we hear it's a digital thing. And since you just launched our website, we are desperately hoping that you could help us. Right person, right place, right time, right kind of instinct to call me. Within half an hour, I had the entire situation reversed. And the next day, the president of the company called to say not only had their unit price, which is their stock price, gone, had not only had it not gone down since the day before, but it had actually gone up. So they had actually increased stakeholder, you know, trust in the market, in their market. And so he, he thanked me. And it was that moment that I went, oh, my goodness. I could be of service, like this is something that is needed and is going to increasingly be needed, and this is what I want to do. And turned to my partner and I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, okay. And what I did was I was a young entrepreneur. I didn't have any marketing budget at the time. I just decided, you know what, there's conversations that need to be had around this, and nobody's having them, so I'm going to start having them. And I launched a blog. And I dedicated myself to blogging five days a week for several years and posed those questions and provided answers and started those dialogues and right place, right time, right aptitude. And here I am today. That is quite the journey, Melissa. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And one thing you've really promoted across your channels and in your work is about being crisis ready. So what does that actually mean and why is it important it's so it's so important so great question there's a difference between crisis readiness and crisis prevention or the typical kind of status quo of crisis management the typical status quo unfortunately to this day remains to be the leadership kind of says we need a crisis management plan and somehow they invest in a plan of some sort And they put that plan on a shelf or in a file and they think that, you know what, if a crisis happens, we're ready. We have that plan. We'll just grab that plan. It'll guide us through to success. We'll know what to do. But the reality today is that by the time you reach for that plan in whether it's a viral issue or a crisis, the incident is already, it's already taking off. Stakeholder demand and expectations are already surging in. It's already going a mile a minute. You're already behind. So the whole concept, the whole premise of being crisis ready is that you're not dependent on a stagnant plan that's sitting on a shelf somewhere that does a disservice to you and your organization and its stakeholders. Instead, you're looking at crisis readiness as a cultural component, whereby, one, you are culturally, proactively every day preventing the preventable risks because if they're preventable, why are they, you know, why would they not be prevented? And then, two, not every risk is preventable. So in the event that an incident happens, be it an issue or crisis, it doesn't matter. You have an entire team that is instinctively and intuitively able to detect it in real time, which gives you a head start on managing it, responding to it effectively. They're able to assess its material impact on the organization. So they can look at an incident and say, is this an issue versus is this a crisis? And what does that mean? And as a result, what do we need to do with it internally and externally? They're able to manage the incident, not just in a way where it 
mitigates further escalation and, and further long-term material impact, but it actually builds upon the brand equity. So you're just like my client back in huh, nearly a decade ago, you're not just managing it to put it to bed, you're managing it to come out of it with increased trust and credibility in your brand. And so that's the whole kind of premise of being crisis ready, what it means and the fact that it's a cultural component versus a deliverable that's sitting on a shelf somewhere. That's a really great definition of crisis ready. And, and so a big part of your mission and practice is helping today's professionals understand the best practice of crisis readiness. And you talked a little bit about how it's not simply about just having a plan in place. And that's basically sitting on the shelf for you know, us to have and never really use. Could you elaborate how crisis readiness is more than just a plan? Could you provide some examples of how you were able to implement this for clients? The foundation of it starts with knowledge, right? It starts with education. So bringing everybody up to speed on you know, the difference between an issue and a crisis, for example, and the impacts of crisis today and the effects of something I call the crisis response penalty. So the crisis response penalty is completely avoidable. It's completely preventable. But And what it is is crisis response penalty, CRP, is the material impact of a crisis on an organization as a direct result of mismanagement. Kind of setting the stage as a baseline education across the board that looks at these things to get this really, really, truly understood because it's very abstract and not easy to understand or not easily understood and really made real unless you take the time to do it, even though it may seem so kind of at the onset. From there, you're building out a program you're taking a deep dive into identifying your organizations, what I call the high-risk scenarios. So every business, I don't, it doesn't matter what industry or field or size, that has no bearing. Every single business has a series of most likely high-impact scenarios. So I call those the high-risk scenarios. Understanding what your high-risk scenarios are, where the threshold lies from taking a scenario from an issue to a crisis and then back down again, being entirely prepared, so taking the time to do a deep dive into each one of these scenarios, and again, preventing the preventables, and then developing a program that looks at everything from your governance structure to your escalation processes, to your dissemination cascading processes, to your protocols, to just everything that's involved with having every single member of the team, because crisis management is cross-organizational. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. So making sure that everybody across the organization just is very familiar and very comfortable with all of these aspects, all of these processes and protocols and just the things that need to happen in order to detect, assess, and respond, and then going through regular trainings to really ingrain that into the culture, into the kind of muscle memory of your different teams so that in the event of something kind of coming out of left field, you quickly, instinctively know how to say, oh my goodness, this is a potential crisis. Here's what we have to do. Everybody does it. De-escalate it down to issue level. And then from there, de-escalate it down to non-issue level. Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely on point. And I really am glad that you made that clarification. And I actually wanted to jump ahead to another question related to, you talked a lot about issue and crisis. I talk to our audience about the difference between an issue and a crisis and why it's important. I'll start with why it's important. Today, in this day and age with virality and all of these aspects and sensationalization and just emotional heightened emotions and just all of these aspects of today. It's very easy for 
an issue that goes viral to feel like a crisis. But virality is not a cri- is not the indicating criteria of what a crisis is. Just because an issue goes viral doesn't necessarily make it a crisis. Or if you miss kind of classify an incident, you risk either overreacting or underreacting or just reacting, responding inappropriately so as to not de-escalate it as best you can. And then, of course, suffer needless CRP. That's kind of the reason why it's so important, as well as making sure that you have the right hands on deck for depending on the situation, depending on the level of the situation. Looking at issue and crisis. So a crisis, I'll give you a definition. Crisis is a negative event or situation that stops business as usual to some extent because it requires immediate escalation straight to leadership requires taking leadership out of their busy days, out of their meetings to look at the situation because it threatens long-term material impact on one to all of the following five things. So people, the environment, the business's operation, its reputation, and or its bottom line. Long-term material impact on one to all of those five things means that this is a serious incident that threatens long-term material impact, and we need to get leadership out of whatever they're doing because we need their eyes, their decision-making, their directives. Whereas an issue is also a negative event or situation, but the difference is that it doesn't stop business as usual because it doesn't threaten that long-term material impact on any one of those five things. And as a result is, yes, an issue is very unpleasant to have to go through and to manage, but because it doesn't require escalation straight to the top of leadership, it is, I see it as kind of business as usual on hyperdrive. So if you are in your department or you're faced with it, it's not a crisis. So it's something that you and your team have to manage. It's the unpleasant side of your job, but it's an important side of your job, but it doesn't have that long-term material impact threat so it doesn't require anybody else to stop what they're doing to come and help you manage it okay well this will give you long enough just to pause and digest some of the uh mind-blowing stuff we're talking about here today but uh there's a place you can learn more of these kinds of cutting-edge concepts it's west virginia university's online data marketing communications program first graduate program of its kind in the country, focusing on strategic thinking, problem solving, and informed decision making. Uh, We're trying to do here today, get some informed decision making uh, data. The data marketing communications program prepares you for a career in all these exciting new fields by learning the innovative tactics from award-winning faculty like those presented here each and every week. You can learn more DMC for data marketing communications dmc.wvu for west virginia university dot edu dmc.wvu.edu awesome and we are back with melissa agnes so melissa this upcoming question i'm really excited to get your um take on your book, which has become such a necessary book for most uh, classes today, and it's already been taught in many different higher education courses around the world, including the one that I'm teaching, it's also at Harvard University. And I wanted to get your take on how do you work with educators to making sure they're able to bring crisis readiness? Yeah. So working with education, working within education, working with professors is one of my favorite things, one of the things that I'm most honored and feel the most privileged to be able to do. Students are 
the professionals of our future. I strongly believe that if every organization were crisis ready to what it means to be crisis ready, what it truly means to be crisis ready, that we would live in a kinder, safer, more balanced world. Because it's so cross-organizational, doesn't matter really what they're studying, they can take this knowledge, this skill set into the workplace with them and make their workplace a better place for everybody. So it's really my honor. And I work with professors in a whole bunch of different ways, depending on the professor. So there's a lot of professors that use my book that have never reached out, and that's perfectly fine. But those that do, I get to help them in a capacity that it could be anything from providing guest lectures to their classes every semester, which is something I do dozens of times a semester around the world. Go even further than that to the fullest extreme. Let's just say that kind of one extreme, one end of the spectrum, right through to the fullest end of the spectrum is there's a few professors where I have helped them develop their entire curriculum around the book. And then everything from each week, what their course looks like, how it correlates to the book, what are the key takeaways and the key aspects of crisis readiness that they're teaching straight through to what they're testing on and ultimately what what the end of semester project looks like and then helping to grade those projects. And I love that because that's often how I get my interns, which is by grading projects and going, oh my goodness, I want, you know, I could teach this person, this person could learn from me and they're already a certain kind of caliber. They have a passion for it. So let's see if we can do an internship and bring them on board. So yeah, so kind of full spectrum, that's what that canon does look like. That is amazing. And for all of our listeners here on this podcast, definitely check out Crisis Ready. It is an excellent book. My students love it. I've been using it for the last couple of years. One bookshelf that they're like, I'm going to keep this Dr. Freeberg after the semester. So another question that I have for you is what are some common mistakes you do still see professionals make in the field? I think the biggest mistake is, for whatever reason, not becoming crisis ready. That just leaves you the most vulnerable, the most exposed. Some other mistakes that I see are an fear to communicate, and therefore a lack of communication leads to massive CRP. So successful crisis management requires simultaneous and effective action, so the right actions to be taken to actually manage the incident while you simultaneously communicate effective with everybody that matters to the brand, every stakeholder group that needs to be communicated with. Oftentimes, the communication side of things can be very nerve-wracking. It can be very intimidating. It can feel like, oh, if we do that, it's going to make things worse, when in fact, that's the complete opposite of what it does. Or it's looking at, in the past, legal tended to kind of say, just say no comment. That's how we're going to mitigate our legal risks. And yet no comment just augments the risks and CRP levels. So, and, and then a third one that I see often is not having the right people, basically not having every stakeholder group represented at the crisis management table. And when that happens, then you do not have a 360 degree look or feel or insight into the different impacts or the full scope of the impacts of the incident on the organization and its stakeholders, and therefore you're going to miss some pieces and either start an issue within a crisis or just not manage the crisis as effectively and as quickly as you otherwise could have. Excellent insights for us to definitely make sure that we are aware of these as we go and practice crisis management in the field. My last question for you, Melissa, is we're closing up on 2019, entering 2020. What are some upcoming trends we should be looking out for the coming year? 
I love that question. The biggest thing that I really am trying to get just create discussion around is looking at societal trends. A lot of organizations, they understand what their high risk scenarios are. If they've taken the time to identify them, then from there they say, okay, we know what those are. We understand that and we're banking them. But if you're not in tune with all of the trends and the movements within our society, then you're missing all new exposure that could potentially apply to you, as well as opportunity. And so what I mean by that is things like, for example, the Me Too movement or and everything around that, right? That wasn't just a moment in time. That was a beginning of something needed and new in our society in terms of progression forward. It's here to stay. What kind of risks does that expose you to? Or what kind of risks should you be mindful to? Or what kind of opportunity does that present for you as one? Or another one is just looking at the society's kind of viewpoint on the movement towards everything from an intolerance to discrimination, whether that's gender discrimination, whether it's racial discrimination, minority discrimination, just doesn't matter what it is, but just discrimination, as well as the way that our society today is leading towards holding organizations accountable for valuing all stakeholders and their impacts, not just shareholder profit. All of that to say is moving forward, we're going to see a lot of society's trends and progressions having presenting risk. And on the kind of same side of that, also see a lot of organizations that realize that not quickly enough. And as a result, they become needlessly exposed to something that they could have mitigated in the first place. Thank you again, Melissa, for sharing your great insights with us about crisis management. Just to kind of maybe recap, what are ways in which people can follow you or connect with you online? Absolutely. Yeah, so it's Melissa Agnes. MelissaAgnes.com is really the hub. Um, the website will take you to all of my social channels as well as links to the book and coaching programs. If you are interested in teaching the book or just integrating the book into your curriculum, then reach out to me, please, please, so that I can help you make that a pure success and make it easier on you because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Other professors are doing it and we can we can make that easy on you. So yeah, so com. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter. I'm on, I'm mostly on Instagram. I'm most often on Instagram and LinkedIn and happy to connect any way that works for, for listeners. Well, this is great, Melissa. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us all your expertise about crisis management. And I'm sure that you'll get a lot of people contacting you for more connections and advice on how to be crisis ready in 2020 and beyond. Well, thank you, Karen. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and share this important message with everybody that you're speaking with and to. So thank you so much for the invitation and and the honor. You are very welcome. Thanks again. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University, a biweekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network for at-work listeners like you.